You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. If you would open your Bibles, please, to Matthew. In Matthew's Gospel, the 8th chapter, is where we will begin to read today, where Jesus asked his apostles during a time of trial, why it was they were timid, my translation says, New American Standard. Uh, American Standard will ask, and the King James, why they were fearful. The English Standard is going to ask, why are you afraid? And so this sort of goes along with, as we talked about in our uh, Bible class, about facing various trials. Also, as Steve made uh, mention uh, with some of the hymns today, we've sort of been on a theme. don't know if it's entirely intentional or not, but such as it is. Uh, we've been on a bit of theme of facing difficulties. So in Matthew chapter 8, we begin to read in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he himself was asleep. And when they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Then he said to them, Why are you timid? Or why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? O men of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea. And it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? In uh, Mark, and it's not often that Mark adds a lot of extra detail, because Mark is usually the truncated gospel, it's the short to the point gospel. But Mark uh, gives us uh, some additional details about that, uh, with the vividness of, of one who was there, probably told from the perspective of the Apostle Peter, as Mark was his companion, But Mark 4, verse 35, And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took took him along with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the the waves were breaking over the boat, so much so that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him. And he said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you timid? Why are you afraid? How is it you have no faith? In Peterson's paraphrase, he says, How are you guys such cowards? And so why are you afraid? Why are you timid? Why are you shrinking back? And what we find is that they showed little faith in the time of the storm. It's not that they renounced their faith. It's not that they rejected their faith. They just weren't living it. And so here, on this occasion, we find once them being very timid, 
But we note the opposite reaction of Jesus, the calm of Jesus, Jesus sleeping. Now, whenever we're in a situation like this where uh, a number of these fellows are, you know, professional fishermen, they've been on this lake all their life. They know the storms. They know when it's a big thing and they know when it's not. And, and I think about this, and I think about that uh, uh, passage that Paul said in First uh, Corinthians 8 that applies to so many things. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes arrogant. Uh, if, you're out there, if you're in a situation with people who, you know, they're professionals, they do this all the time, and you, you as a layman, maybe you as a tack together like Matthew or, you know, you're, you're a zealot like uh, Simon and you're not, you're not so much a sea guy, you're ready to go attack the Romans on land, but you're not in the, you, know, you don't want to be in the Navy. These guys who don't know so much about maybe the uh, life on the sea and life on, life on that big lake, the Sea of Galilee, and the storm starts blowing up, and what do the old hands say? Oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Right? And, and you know, as, as the storm gets bigger and bigger, and maybe you get more alarmed, and they're, they're, they, they start downplaying it. Oh, this is nothing. You should have been here for the storm of Ot 17. You know? <laughs> that was a storm. Remember that one? And, and you're just beside yourself, and the professional guys, you know, the more you do that, the calmer they get, or at least the calmer they try to appear. But at some point, it stretches over, and the, the dynamic changes where a situation gets real serious, and you don't know enough to know that it is now real serious. But you ever been in one of these situations where the professionals start getting concerned? When the guys who are supposed to know what they're doing start getting a little bit rattled? Well, this is a case where the guys who are supposed to know what they're doing, they get rattled. And let's not pretend we don't play this game sometimes when our friends from the East Coast or the West Coast uh, show up and there's a big spring thunderstorm. And the thunder's going and the sirens start to blow and you're, oh, it's nothing. And they're like, what? But there's sometimes you just know, you just feel it, you know that big storm's coming. And they don't know enough to be scared. Well, they, they think Jesus is like that. The guy who doesn't know enough to be scared yet. Because what did Mark say? It was a fierce gale. The waves were breaking over the boat. The boat was filling up. And it says Jesus was in the stern on a cushion. Can you believe it? He's laying there on a cushion. Get him up. Don't you care that we're about to die? And Matthew said he rebuked him. The wind. Mark records for us the exact words. He said, hush. Be still. And he asked him. This is in Luke's gospel. Luke 8.25. Luke just puts it right to the point. Where is your faith? Peterson's paraphrase says. Why can't you trust me? Philip's paraphrase says, hey guys, hey, did, okay, he doesn't say hey guys, I said that. But Philip's paraphrase says, what happened to your faith? Hey guys, what happened to your faith? I thought you were living by faith here. And we think about Jesus, the master of the universe, and that's not just a bad cartoon title, but the, really the master of the universe, uh, the one who knows all things, The one who has already seen before he came, he has seen through the corridors of time, and he knows how he is going to end up, right? He knows what his end of this physical life will be, how there will be the humiliation of the cross, how there will be the glorification of the ascension, 
And he knows this will not end with his body, fish food, at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, right? He knows the end of his story is not to drown in this lake. At this time, though, when there's a fierce gale, the winds are breaking over the boat, and the boat's filling up. What do the apostles think their end might very well be in the next 10 minutes? Bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if they thought about this, he's preparing them as the Son of God, as a great prophet. He is preparing them for a great mission. And they thought about this logically, and they thought about this through the eye of faith. What do you think the odds are that they're going to end up on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee in the next 10 or 15 minutes, and that'll be the end of this Jesus is the Messiah exercise? That's not how this story is going to end. There have been prophecies given of what will come, that the kingdom of God is among you, right? The kingdom of God is not on the seafloor, right? That's not how this story ends. And so why are you thinking that this is going to end in this? Back in Matthew, again, those paraphrases, which not so great for word-for-word Bible studies and doctrinal studies, but to get the feeling of a moment, they're often quite instructive. Peterson's paraphrase of of the question is, instead of why are you timid, it's why are you such cowards, such faint hearts? And Philip's paraphrase is, why are, what are you so frightened about, you little faiths? Little faith, that's, that would not be a good name to have. Sort of like the English king, John uh, Landloss. No, not good. Not good to know, be known as Landloss. And so what, what are you frightened about? And so Jesus was obviously not frightened. He was calm. He was sleeping right there on his pillow. I've always been surprised that none of my children have ever picked up from that story and then started to tell me, hey, uh, kid, why aren't you up? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Don't you know we got places to be? He says, I'm just following Jesus. I'm asleep on my pillow, as the Lord was. Why are you so anxious, Dad? Because we got a schedule to keep. That's what. But here's Jesus in the sleeping incident. So here they are, not recognizing, not thinking through, we talked in the Bible class about how when facing difficulties, one of the things that helped the, the, the faithful to God was to think through to the end of the thing. They weren't doing that. Here they are with the master of all, and he showed it by hushing, just with the word hush, be still, and the winds and the waves were still. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities or storms. I, I'm sorry, I added that. They've all been created for him and by him. And so this storm showed his glory when he told it to hush. And so here they showed little faith while Jesus was sleeping. So once time they did that, well, of course we know they did it again. Caught in a similar storm at a different time. They have something of a similar reaction. This is not the Jesus sleeping story. This is the Jesus walking story. In both occasions, we note the the calm and measured pace of the Lord. This is what faith and assurance and purpose does for you. Calmness and assurance. And here is what we find with the uh, brethren, with the disciples, uh, with people who, uh, yes, they believe. They believe greatly at times. But at other times, they can falter. We find them being much more volatile. So Matthew 14 now. It's also in Mark 6, but we'll read it from Matthew. 
Matthew 14, we start in verse 22. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And there's lots of them because he just fed them. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia from land. So it's out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And this time it says, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Just going for a stroll out on the sea. Actually, uh, and I really need to study this in more detail, uh, this, this walking on the sea and this particular turn of phrase of which it's expressed there, I'm pretty sure is a reference to Job in one of the uh, things where it talks about God as he goes across the earth and walks about. And so it's, I think, is an intentional allusion to the divine qualities that God showed and revealed in the book of Job. So that's really a statement of his divinity. Uh, That's what's being uh, spoken of there, aside from the just extraordinary nature of what's going on. So he's just walking on the sea, intending to pass them by. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I. Who else would it be? Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. And walking on the water, he came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, almost the same words as before, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got to the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him. I guess they should saying, you are certainly God's son. Interestingly, it adds another little piece in John six twenty one, possibly another miracle. It says, they were therefore willing to receive him into the boat. Classic case of biblical understatement. Of course they were. But then it says, immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. And so we may have three miracles here. We have the miracle, obviously, of walking on the water. We have the miracle of the storm stopping. And we might also have, and I think we probably do, the miracle of transportation as they are immediately taken to where they were going. It says in Mark six fifty one about this. And he got into the boat with them. The wind stopped. They were greatly astonished. And then it says this, for they had gained no insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the danger that can face us, that God has done so much and shown so much, provided so much by us. uh, We've received by a written revelation, the, the marvelous inspired word with all of the instructions of God there. And yet we can, like them who actually saw the feeding of the multitudes just that day, that the morning before, midday before, just like them, we can see these things, recognize these things, think we appreciate these things, 
and gain no insight. When, when the meals were being passed out, when the meals were being passed out, do you think they recognized that was a miracle? Read the text, it's pretty obvious they did. They understood this was miraculous. And so they say, okay, Jesus has this power. But 12 hours later, in the storm on the sea, they've kind of gone back to the old way of thinking, having done what? Having done what the text said, having gained no insight. And this was farther along. This was farther along in the ministry of Jesus. This is after more of the will and purpose and plan of God had been revealed. We are chronologically probably two-thirds or three-fourths of the way through the ministry of Jesus. They've heard more things that he said than that he hasn't said yet. And they still haven't gained the insight that they need to apply to this particular situation. And that's where I'm afraid from time to time we might and we do find ourselves. When we find ourselves not in this literal storm, although sometimes it is a literal storm, we've all been caught in storms where we had reason to fear. And we've had those storms that literally did us damage, right? Uh, I've lived in places where uh, I've cleaned up both hurricane damage and I've cleaned up from uh, tornado damage. I didn't live in California long enough or in the right place to have to clean up from earthquake or fire damage other than brushing the ash off my car one time, but uh, that was pretty light. But um, sometimes it is actual storms, actual natural disasters that uh, face us, and do we gain the inside of faith to face those? But much more likely, our need of a confident faith, of an insightful and living faith, is not going to be in a momentary storm. Not that that can't come up. And there's a storm season. We call it that for a reason. But for most of us, it'll be the storms we call the storms of life. There's the regular issues of health and aging, of maturing, of work life and family life and educational life and all the different spheres spheres of life in which we try to grow and we try to prosper and we try to guide and help others along the way. It's been mentioned in class and in prayers and and the announcements uh, today, certainly, and other times, uh, this you know year of 2020, the year of the pandemic, and with the restrictions and the prohibitions, and in every aspect of life, it seems the constant changes, and the upsets of routines, and the the new regimens, and the thing we're told today seems to conflict with the thing of yesterday, and then we add into that uh, what looks to be one of the most uh, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, eventful, uh, we'll just say it that way, eventful campaign seasons. Uh, and we thought we had our full cup of, t- of, of turmoil. And now we have, you know, a vacancy on the Supreme Court as of the last two days. And so it was ugly, already appearing that it was going to be ugly, probably is going to be uglier. And many of us are thinking, well, how are we going to make it? How is the country going to make it? What is this going to look like? on the other side and so sometimes it's not just the big storm that blows through and goes away but it's that constant buffeting of the wind just after day after day after day that eventually drives us mad one of the first pieces and i forget the name of the work the one of the first pieces of fiction of the 
uh, far west uh, uh, life stories. It was fictional, but it was based on real real life things. It was this uh, pioneer woman settler out on the, the far plains of West Texas, and she's just slowly driven mad by the wind, just the constant wind, day after day after day, and eventually, eventually, she just is driven mad. I don't know why anybody would be driven mad by the constant wind. So we find ourselves in these winds, sometimes without a shelter. We find ourselves in a boat that seems to be taking on water. And we find ourselves sometimes more like the apostles who are frantic than Jesus who is sleeping or walking and able to take things at a constant and routine pace. So how is it that we can have this confident faith to let us sleep on our pillow to let us walk through these times of trial and trouble without being bothered by the wind. How is it we can do that? Well, we can first realize that just as there was something in the works, in the plans, in the mind of God that the apostles were going to fulfill, it seems like God has a purpose for us, does he not? Now, I'm not saying that we all would have some divinely known calling or that uh, everything is so predetermined that uh, you know, every little thing is, is directly, uh, you know, God's direct hand and working. I think Solomon's um, saying that time and chance overtakes every man. I think that's true. It certainly appears true. But there is a plan. And even if life is cut short, and that would be the, you know, as far as earthly things go, the worst of things and the worst of consequences. Even if life was cut tragically short, can we not still understand uh, that we have a purpose in God, uh, that we have a, a God who is near, a God who cares, a God who instructs, a God who directs. Uh, even the pagan should have known this. Uh, Paul, after talking about the nature of God for a bit, said in Acts 17.26, even your own poets said, and this was pagan poets in, in Athens, he said, even your poets have said, for we are his offspring. And he would go on to say, for in him we live and we move, and we have our very being. And so we as the offspring of God, as those who live and move in God, as those under the direction of God, and earlier he had said, Paul did in Acts 17, that God establishes uh, you know, the, the appointed times of people. He, he points the boundaries of their habitation. And so... Uh, this nation, as we face various troubles, uh, how long will it provide? Well, as long as God has determined. What will succeed this nation, if any, before the, act, before the Lord comes? Well, whatever God has prescribed. How will, it, how will it end up? Well, it end up in the way that God has determined, that God has made all man and God governs all men. And so both individually and collectively, God is near and God is in charge. It's not a deistic God, the, the watchmaker God who set up this marvelous machine, wound it up, and just, you know, throw it out like a top on the floor, and, boy, it spins pretty, where's it going to go? And that's not the way he made things. What we find is, like it says in James 5, James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So don't complain, one another, brethren, against each other. 
that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. But you have heard the endurance of, of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The Lord had his eye and his protecting hand on Job, much more than Job would have ever thought, as Job was to use a phrase from another time and place, being sifted like wheat. When Job was being tested and sifted, he thought the Lord was far, far away. But what did the Lord see about Job? Everything he did. And he was protecting Job even through that. And so we have this guarantee, we have this promise that the Lord is near. And even if we think about the book of Job, even if the Lord had said to Satan, yeah, okay, you can have his life if you want, what would have been the end of Job? On this life it would have uh, been a, a much quicker end, I'm sure. But what would have been the real end of Job? It would have been an eternity of fellowship with the God he served. And so God is near, even when we don't realize it. Even when we, in that boat where the winds are breaking, the waves are breaking, the wind is beating, God is near. And we may think, well, he's just so, you know, hey, God's with us, but he's sleeping on the pillow. Well, he's doing that because you can handle this so far. One last thing here in James before we go. In the middle of this, when it says be patient and wait and see the outcomes of the Lord's dealing, aside from the general instruction to patience, there's one other instruction there. In verse 9, right in the middle, it says don't complain about one another. Because when you're in the boat that's being swamped, when you're in the boat that that's, uh, appears to be floundering, some curse the storm and some curse the other people in the boat with them. And people in the boat start to scuffle and fight amongst themselves. And we've all seen enough movies. We've all read enough accounts. We all can picture these things in our mind. And let me ask you, when did that ever help? They're in the boat with you. Maybe we'd wish they'd bail faster. They'd probably wish that about us. Maybe we wish they would have turned the boat sooner. They might wish that about us. Maybe we wish they would have rowed a little harder. And they may think that about us. But, you know, use the oars for rowing, not for beating the other rowers. Use the buckets for bailing, not for throwing water on each other or whacking each other over the head with with the bucket. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourself may not be judged. Remember, even in times of trial, God is near. Trust and don't doubt. We stay here in the book of James. In the book of James, chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. James started off talking about trials and the blessings of being under trials. 
And so I think one thing we can say in the year 2020, we have been blessed. That was a bit of a joke. But we've been blessed with trials. But what do we do in trials? We pray for wisdom. We don't doubt. We trust in God. We want to be faithful to God. And he says, if you want to be faithful, if you need the wisdom for that, just pray. Don't doubt. Later, again, chapter 5, we got a, these out of order. Uh, he says, don't complain, but pray. Pray in faith. Let verse Hebrews 10.23 says this. We'll go to Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, if nothing else, the, the disciples should have realized on both occasions, we're not going to sink here because Jesus is with us. We ought to have the same insight that we're not going to sink here because the Lord is with us. And so we need to have a confident, undoubting faith. And if you don't think you can do that, pray about it. And pray expectantly. And pray confidently. And in these things, again, using these nautical terms as it's used by the Hebrew writer, be anchored. Be anchored. Hebrews 6 and 19 will say, we have an anchor for the soul. We're reading a little bit ahead of that to get down to the context and place it in its proper place. Hebrews six seventeen. In the same way God, desiring all the more to show the heirs of the promise. That would be us, folks, nowadays. Then it was about Abraham, and now that's us, the heirs of the promise. The unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath. In order that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us, a hope that is an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. So it's a well-set anchor on a large enough chain. It is anchored firm, we sing in the hymn, though the storms assail. And so we have this anchoring. We have fled to him, as it says, fled to him for refuge. You flee for refuge when there's something wrong with the place you're at, right? Uh, How many American refugees are there in other countries? How many countries are overwhelmed with American refugees? I don't know that many. Right? There are some countries around the world where there's large numbers of Americans, uh, large numbers of Americans uh, who have moved to places where it's cheap to live because their Social Security check goes further, large number of Americans in some of the super wealthy places because they, they've gone there uh, in order to get away from American taxes. Uh, at once upon a time, there was a large community of Americans who went to Canada because they didn't want to serve in the draft. But, I mean, how many refugee Americans are there? There just aren't any. So we, we, aren't in, we haven't been in a place where we need to flee from. We, as when it comes to political and economic things, uh, we're the first hope of the refugees around the world, right? Which, when we have trials and troubles, which we do, it kind of puts things in perspective. Uh, one thing that has not abated much in this year of our great troubles 
is the, the flow of refugees into this country has not slowed down a lot. It's slowed down some, but it's not slowed down a lot. And so when it comes to politics and political freedom and economic freedom, we aren't the only place refugees in this world want to go, but we're still one of their premier destinations. Imagine if it were otherwise. Imagine if we had to become real refugees. Now that, that would be a trial. That would be a test. How many believers would give up their faith then? I, I wouldn't want to know. I hope we're not tested to that degree. But when it comes to spiritual things, I must say, if we look at this as a physical land for a spiritual hope, we're going to be gravely disappointed. Our spiritual refuge has all, it's always been necessary, and it's never been at any geographic place on the earth. Right? Our spiritual refuge is the hope that's in Christ. This refuge to which we flee as Christians and anchor our hope is that which is in Christ. And we need to always remember that. And so whether it's we're on a, you know, like these disciples in a literal boat in a literal storm, or we're in a metaphorical boat in a metaphorical storm, the spiritual things are always in Christ, and that's where we have to set our anchor, and that's where we have to look to as a refuge, and then we have to stay there. We have to stay there in that, as it were, spiritual refugee center. We have to stay there where it's safe. As it says in Hebrews 10.35, Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. So the great reward is in our confidence in Christ. It's in our faith. What did Habakkuk say? The just shall live by faith. Verse 36. For you have a need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. For yet in a little while, he who's coming will come and won't delay. But my righteous one, quoting Habakkuk, shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And so once we've anchored, once we've found that refuge, stay there. That the safe harbor is in Jesus. The safe anchorage is in Jesus. It's in faith and trust in him. He's near to us. He's he's one who welcomes us to put our trust, our faith, and find our, our purpose in him. And then just keep doing that. Like Matthew twenty four thirteen, In a time of another judgment coming. Jesus said he who endures to the end. Will be saved. It's always been true as well. And so. Why. Why are you such cowards? Jesus asked him in a boat. Because of the wind and the waves and the storm. Don't you see that? You were sleeping. Maybe you missed it. No, I did, I, knew, I knew, I know. But didn't you think I would take care of you? Didn't you gain that much insight? Well, no, the scripture said they didn't. But would the same admonition be thrown to us? And how, what would our answer be if it were? Or do we realize truly that God's near? It's a time for trust and not doubt. That we are anchored firmly there. And we can and should and must... Abide there permanently. Well, that will close. Ask this morning if you need to come to the invitation of Jesus. Need to, to anchor down in him. Need to be secured in him. 
need to make covenant with him and ask forgiveness from him, confess his name, be baptized in him, be added to his family. If you need all those things that are in him, you can come. Or if you need to confess your sin to come back, we offer the invitation as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.